Word to the Wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes. If you haven't read Stephen King's short story, Lori, it's available for free from his website and can be found in the show notes below. It's a pretty quick read. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. Think of us as your drunk weekly book club. Been a couple weeks, a couple really busy weeks for both of us um, since we've last recorded. I moved. I posted on our Twitter about my first pour at the at the apartment at the new place, um, which was a redemption or uh, not Redemption, Templeton Rye. And that was like two weeks ago. And we haven't recorded since then. So uh, I'm excited to get back into this. Yeah, we took a bit of a break so we could let the podcast feed catch up with us so that going forward, we'll basically have like a week and a half delay between episodes or so. Give you Between the, recording and releasing, you mean? Yep, the inside baseball of everything. That'll be yep. about what the, the delay is. So PJ and the audience will be reading relatively close to each other at the same time. It'll make for a, a, a more fun sort of pacing interaction. With that, this week's a little bit different, though, because this is going to be one of the in-between-isode weeks um, that's going to come out with the intro to the next book, as well as the concluding episode with our guest, my brother, Bingham. Today, we're going to be discussing a short story by the master of horror himself, Stephen King. We're going to be talking about Laurie, which is a short story put out in 2018. So... You you touched on this before we started recording. This was my first foray into the reading of Stephen King. Wouldn't have wouldn't have known that he was a horror writer at all. No, yeah, wonder. yeah. I I kind of I kind of say that like semi ironically because I think that he's actually a big humanist more than anything else. I I really I mean there are other people who do Stephen King podcasts who do a far better job of breaking this down than I ever could. But I think that what he does great is he knows how to write people. Mm-hmm. And that makes for astonishingly good stories. He, he's just able to like peel back the mind of to every sort of different person and can like sit and inhabit that character in a very real way, which right. uh, I think is really interesting and why this story is so interesting when in fact it's just kind of another, you know, we'll talk about this more in a bit, but it's kind of just another like dog and owner story, dog and old curmudgeon, you know, like it's yeah, pretty much it is what it is. So before we uh, really dive in, though, let's uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. So what are you having today? Um, I've got a a whiskey sour, that same Templeton rye I just mentioned before, with lemon juice, simple syrup, and some orange peel. And then usually that would be shaken and served without ice, but I don't have a shaker because both my parents have COVID, so I can't go get it from their house. Um <laughs> And I didn't uh, yeah. want to go buy another one. So um, I just served it over an ice cube, which is fine. It still tastes good. Yeah. And obviously, hope that your parents are okay throughout yeah, all this. Yeah, they're, they're both showing uh, no symptoms. Feeling, feeling perfectly right. fine. That's but. good. I actually just had a COVID test today, no less. Had it stuck all the way back in my nose. And I've actually been pretty stuffy ever since, but just so sort of the, a more of a precaution thing. But the only test I've done so far has been the spit test. Which I got to is only in certain it. areas. Yeah, it, it is in in our city, though, in St. Cloud. <laughs> um, just go to the convention center and 
stand in a giant room and spit into a vial. That's go home. Great. (laughs) (laughs) By comparison, I am having just two ounces of uh, Espelon tequila with ice. So it's uh, it's tasty. It's it's a good sipper. Um, Yeah. I see in your notes it says uh, tequila with icy boys. Icy boys. It's actually icy boy. There's only one ice cube in this guy. (laughs) Okay. Oh, I also don't have an ice cube tray yet at this place um, uh so i used a different whiskey glass to make an ice cube <laughs> nice a smaller one of course to freeze yeah. it so you can put it in the bigger one nice that's great exactly uh, um you chasing really that good. with anything yes i am having so i'm currently in pennsylvania enjoying everything that's up there but right now i am having a beer called citra drink which is a northeastern style or new england new what england am i saying North, northeastern uh, from Levante Brewing out of Westchester, PA. So basically just trying to sample as much as I can up here. There's a couple of breweries that are pretty close to where we're at. So nice. Yeah, yeah there's a, I'll have to tap you after the episode and give you some suggestions or requests for if you want to ship anything back out here. Yes, please. <laughs> from the area. There, there have been a couple that are really, have been really solid. And there have been several where it's like, well, I've tasted this, but better. Fair enough. I... Yet again, have a black stack beer that I'm following up with. Um, this one is their stuffed crust triple IPA, clocking Ooh. it at 10.8 percent. Collaboration with Bricksworth Beer Co., which I'm not familiar with. Um, but Strada, Sabro, Cryo, and Idaho Seven Cryo. Big dog. Big dog to go with the big dog story. Yep. Little dog story, but it's okay. Becomes a less little dog. Yeah, yeah, ages a little bit. So with that, let's uh, let's get into the short. So I think we'll talk style and other things like that at the end. So let's let's hold those comments for now and kind of peel back sort of the layers of the story. It's it's a pretty straightforward story, all things considered. Yeah. Lloyd is a widower of a recent wife who's died. His sister shows up, drops off a puppy. Yeah, I mean, that's as far as like the story itself goes, it, it felt like this was more of a an exercise in creating a personality for a character mm-hmm. without much actually happening in terms of story. OK, OK. Like, it, it seemed like a lot of background on a character that could be implemented elsewhere in a different larger story. So fascinating. It, great read overall. It's not that it wasn't necessarily the short story wasn't necessarily used that way, but that is a common Stephen King ism is he is very, very good at fleshing out these characters very quickly with a good backstory to make you become invested in whatever it is. And then he either like takes them forward or he abandons them um, in stories. So there, there are a number of examples. Those are kind of the two options. Well, right. <laughs> what, I, what I mean <laughs> is that like it's just it is a very frequent thing where you might only see a, a character like dip in for uh, for like a 20 page bit and then jump out. It's a it's a very frequent thing in the Dark Tower series, which is a consideration for the show. But I, I'll hold off my internal dark tower boner for a later date everyone can see it man like you i know don't hide that one well dude i i just can't i can't help it um <laughs> it's massive and wanting you've been talking about the dark tower since i've known you i mean yeah so 
man, derail the conversation real quick. But all, all things told, I think I read the dark. I started the Dark Tower when I was like 12. And there's a scene right in the first book within the first 60 pages that I very clearly did not understand where he aborts a baby with his gun that's possessed by a demon out of a woman. And it's just, it's grotesque in theory, but if you don't understand what's going on, you've no fucking clue as a 12 year old. <laughs> so I, there, there were a number of things that just went over my head in a first read through that I read into later. My dad and my grandpa were both very supportive of reading those books and that story. My dad was giving me the backlog of the other books that are connected. One of the big ones being Insomnia, which I think if I were to choose a Stephen King story, maybe to start with for us to talk about. I've put that on a short list of like single books to tackle because I, I love it. But yeah, all, all told, it's so good. But getting getting away from the point, Lori is a great it, it is a one shot. It is that single character just designed to be a build up. And you kind of get to the heart of why like Stephen King is a really good writer is because he can just like conjure and build these characters and make them just submerse you in their life so easily. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it just reads, I don't know, it kind of like, it, it reads like adult, oh God, what, Dr. Seuss to some degree. I don't know if I like, agree with that so much. I just but... mean where it's easy and it kind of all rolls. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's definitely. Not true. like it rhymes, but like. But as as far as like, what's going on in this story it's mostly really mundane i would argue like there's not a whole lot that happens truly he gets a dog and then he finds his his neighbor dead but it's about the dogs that we make along the way you know (laughs) 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 yeah so I mean, it's, it's not to say that that's a bad story i am just saying that like if i were to write this story not knowing how to write it'd be like a couple pages long maybe right but he yep. was able to keep my attention for 35 pages or whatever 32 yeah for whatever yep, yep, yep. or whatever whatever that, that's covered by the or whatever <laughs> encompass sure and genuinely like enjoyed it good good yeah. despite despite nothing happening I genuinely enjoy it. Some things happen. (laughs) I mean, so I feel like there are three distinct chunks that happen, and it it might help. The reason that he wrote the story is at the time he had recently lost, or him and his wife Tabitha had recently lost one of their dogs. Okay. Vixen. So he, like, immediately, like, just took to the the pen and pad and, like, wrote a story about a dog. He, Stephen King, is notorious for writing 2,000 words every day of the year, no matter what day it is birthday christmas son's birthday his wife having a child he literally has not missed a day i think since outside of the accident that he had in 99 some missed a day writing 2000 words in forever since he was like 21 or something like that 21 or 22 so it's easy to see where he can just like generate stories like this which i would agree with you is to some degree unremarkable but also his dialogue is fantastic. Like he mm-hmm. he creates genuine conversations and spawns characters. Like Beth, Beth is I in my opinion like one of the better characters in the story. His sister and sort of the way that she's an irritant to Lloyd and always has been. You know, five years her senior brings the dog, gives the dog as a gift. He's like, what the fuck? Giving a dog is like the worst thing that you could do for someone. Pet is the, it's on page four. A pet is the absolute worst present you can give someone. I read that on the internet. Where everything is true, I suppose, Beth says. And it's just like, ah, (laughs) he 
you just kind of want to like rip yeah, your I mean, he does a great job of making very important dialogue not seem forced, making or creating exposition in a way that doesn't feel unnatural, still feels like a normal mundane conversation between kind of an irritating sister and her brother. And it's just very polished and very clean, hard to fault. I, I totally agree with you. When you read the line right after that, or like the paragraph, there's that brief section. And I love the end of the line, but I'll read the whole thing. The harsh September light of Florida's West Coast fell in her face, showing the way her lipstick had bled into the little wrinkles around her mouth the way her lower lids had begun to sag away from her eyes and the fragile clock spring of veins beating in the hollow of her temple. Okay, we understand what a clock spring and the fragility and all those things, but like how like clock spring veins is just so, it just rolls off the tongue in a beautiful way. Why? It, how? How are you this good? Because it's it's not an obvious description of how heartbeats work, especially when viewing them from the from the vein. It's intricate. It's fragile. He says fragile, so I guess I can't use that. But it's it's intricate and rhythmic, and it makes total sense as a description. But I've never heard it said like that before. Rhythmic, rhythmic is interesting. So it's what's fascinating to me is I also I've been reading rereading through the Dark Tower. No, no joke, no doubt. Uh, I'm in book six right now of eight, technically, and Song of Susanna has all, not exactly the same line, but also describes something as like a fragile clock spring. Uh, and I was also stricken by this and I listened to a, a podcast that I've been following through on the book um, called Kingslingers by Doof Media. And they brought up the same thing. And it's like, how do you how do you? describe how do you reckon with this why is this why can stephen king just do this with things so i guess i guess looking at it a little bit more closely i was thinking clockwork the actual mechanism but clock spring probably has more to do with kind of a like the actual physical spring in a watch right very very tiny and very very sensitive I, i'm wondering what he's actually meaning there that's actually a much better call i i think you're right you're right. It's it's like the the delicate, intricate piece there beating through. So interesting. Anyway, he he's just able to weave this language so well throughout the entire story. So as we as we proceed, you know, he's rejecting her. The way that I think of Lloyd, I think of Lloyd like I think of Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. I get have have you seen Gran Torino? Yeah, I mean, not long after it was out of theaters, but yeah, I I just get I get that same sort of like curmudgeoned asshole off my lawn kind of attitude, and like having the dog dropped on him and kind of like staring at him, being like, "Well, I kind of piece of shit, don't pee on the carpet," you know, attitude that pervades most of this. Yeah, but I I get less actual surliness out of him and more just kind of He's a little bit more indifferent. Yeah, more apathetic, less malicious. So, after being introduced to the dog of which he names Lori just because mm -hmm. we we very quickly move on to starting to like Lori, take Lori on the the pee walks because otherwise she's peeing on the floor all the time, which she does anyway. Occasionally lands on the pad, but very rarely. And we run into Don around page 11, page 12. And Don's a character in and of himself because he's an asshole, mostly. It's just, yep. he's a mean, he's a mean dude. Jukebox of tiresome political opinions and an unapologetic gore cow. Crow. Oh, yeah. Even, even better. <laughs> even better. Way, way to go, Stephen King. I don't, I don't, I don't want to know what a gore cow is. 
Well, it's it's like the cows from the secret cow level in Diablo. It's gonna I be was the just same. gonna say that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I really like the interaction with Don right at the end. Look at that boat. How many poor people well, in Don said as Lloyd had joined him on the boardwalk, Lori, perhaps right into the water, hung back at the end of her leash. How many poor people do you think that would feed in Africa? I don't think hung, even hungry people would eat a boat, Don. And it's just dad joke after dad mm-hmm. joke. It's, it's great. It's an old man who who has two kids, two or three kids, I think. Lloyd um, has two or three kids. Lloyd? No, no kids. I thought. Specifically, no kids. You're um, right. I think Marion has two kids. Yep. I think it was mentioned nearer to the end. No, uh, Beth has has a couple kids. Yeah, the sister no, has a yep, couple kids. I meant I meant Beth. I said Marion. Yep. You're right. Yep, you did. So all, all told, it's great writing. Uh, there, there's a lot Got of to like get back and burn some supper. Take it easy, Don. What what I also really like about the the sort of relationship here too is that Stephen King does a great job of planting things to pay off. So one of the things that he does inside of this is in the quotes with Lori that I read earlier, Lori perhaps right into the water, hung back at the end of her leash, right? So we know from later in the story that there may have been an alligator there. Even though they only sit for 65 days or they incubate the eggs, it's likely that it was around around that time. And she might have been aware of it or have seen something. Yeah. And was wary of the of the water. Yeah. And that kind of builds into her reaction later in the story as well. So mm-hmm. that's just nice and planted there. I like that she's yeah. also, Lori's also defined with like two firm yaps, like two sharp yaps. It's just yark, yark. Yarks. Yeah. Other thoughts moving through the story? I really liked the basket of toys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a simple thing, but. Mm-hmm. And how he like always, the last thing he does before going to bed is put them back in the in the basket for her because mm-hmm. she seems to enjoy like perusing them in the mornings. Yeah. And it, all, along with that, he has that brief thought for a bit where he's like, well, you know, I should I could take her in bed, but she's still shitting everywhere. And if she's shit in the bed, not only would it seem symbolically disrespectful, but it would also mean <laughs> changing the bed sheets. And that's just not something he wanted to do. But also just not wanting a turd. A little sausage. brown sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Where his wife used to sleep. <laughs> right. Right. <sighs> yeah. No, it's it's good. And we also at that same point get like the heartfelt moment where he's sitting there with the CD player with his wife's old CDs in it because she never upgraded to an iPod. Yeah, it's, it's just good. It's, it's good character building like morning instead of the story to humanize him a little bit. Uh, so I didn't quite understand that part. He pressed play and Joan Bates's uh Joan Bates began singing The Night They Drove The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. He placed the CD on one of the fresh puppy pads. Like what I, di- I didn't quite understand the significance or reason for Yeah, I think that's supposed to be CD player, but I would agree. It's it's not something that went to an editor likely. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, though. Like, he just placed it and, like, Lori sniffed at it, laid down beside it, her nose almost touching the dynamo tape, you know, being like... Like, the way I read it initially, because what it literally says is he puts the CD on the puppy pad, so I was... Yeah. He's like, I hate this song, go pee on it. Oh, yeah, like, no, no. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's what he meant, but... No, I, he, I think it's totally supposed to be CD player, which just shows that, like, can still fuck stuff up. 
Oh, but then, but then right afterwards, will it do? I goddamn hope so. What does that mean? Okay, so reading through it, right? So if we change out, he played the CD on, or he placed the CD, it's he placed the CD player on one of the fresh puppy pads. Larry snapped that at them, lay down beside her, her nose almost touching the dynamo tape, reading property of Marion Sutherland, which the only thing that would have had that tape on it wouldn't be the cd itself would be the cd player right right like you're not what, what's up with the will it do lloyd asked i goddamn hope so like is it is it good enough i hope it is, is what like good is enough song the cd player for what for the dog i feel like it's all like an homage to her to his wife marion you know like it's familiar because Lori is cuddling with it, so it's meant to kind of be like a sort of I, spiritual handoff to some degree, being like this is a new kind of love. It's not great. I'm not. I'm not I, like making an excuse I, for I'm it. Not That's just what it. I saw. I think. I think something happened there before publishing it, and it doesn't seem coherent. It doesn't track like usually, like his writing has for the rest of the story. Sure. Sure. It also could be a break in writing, too. I mean, if I bet if we highlight the first half of this, I bet it's pretty close to 2000 words. <laughs> and then I bet if we highlight the back half, it's pretty close um, because that is actually the split point of the story almost yeah. exactly. So maybe that was just his way of, of dealing with the two different writing cycles and didn't put much more thought into it, which, to be honest, with short stories, a lot of the time it kind of feels that way. We we keep moving forward, which I, I really like on page like 16. You can just like read Old Man Lloyd's old manness, especially with the IMHO, as they said on Facebook, of which it would have been better if he said the Facebook. Yeah, the Facebook would have been better. You're right. But it, it's really funny because Stephen King is actually very tech literate when it comes to Twitter and everything else. He's very with it. it. It's just kind of it's kind of funny to be writing like an old person who isn't so with it. He obviously <laughs> is going to websites and like he's going to the the puppy blog and everything else. But that was also pretty well done. Oh, yeah. um, actually, that gets that gets into more of the technical stuff that you said we'll tackle later. So never mind. Continue. All right. So they go to the fish house. They have some food. It's good. You know, Lori's just kind of showing off toilet train quickly. You know, we talked about the toys, which is a great scene and sort of the, the conversations we drag around to Beth's house. They have further conversations. He goes and gets himself checked out at the doctor. There's nothing wrong. This would have been an interesting spot, actually, to add a little bit of tension to some degree. But it's it's also good to, you know, like not every story needs to have everything bad happen for the sake of drama. Mm, doesn't it need conflict, though? Well, it in order to be compelling to read, it ultimately has conflict, but we can be compelled through a story without strict conflict. You can have brief moments of conflict, like where Beth is saying, go to the doctor, get yourself checked out or like you need to have this puppy. Like those are all different moments of conflict that aren't high tension but they're tension mm -hmm. you know like this story like it this is a good moment but it doesn't need to be there entirely also interestingly enough uh on 21 we get our first mention of the 45 caliber bullet to the brain which we later get a call out to a 45 caliber bullet going off of which is sort of the the hint of things to change or things to come of which to me when i read it amelia went Oh shit, is the Lloyd or is Laurie dying? Like what's gonna happen? The two of them. Right. Yeah. So it's it's literally the next page. There was no premonition that God was cocking his 
45. So good. Mm -hmm. So we get into the scuffle um, with, uh, well, I mean, first we run past Evelyn, Don's wife. We make it out back onto the six mile, six mile path. Stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Of which has already been, you know, it's already a mess for the most part. And Mm -hmm. And even Beth had. Or, yeah, even Beth had called him out for, like, why the fuck do you go there? Mm-hmm. Like, so run down and you're going to, like, it's waiting to be broken. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's been up for 40 years, which is the same length as his marriage to Marion. So there's something. That's a good point. Kind of there for them where he's kind of, like, running the ropes continually, even though it's broken down. I don't know. That was, that was my first thought when I was thinking about it and reflecting on it. But yeah, Don's, Don's missing, of course. We, we go down and... Uh, Don's getting his shit eaten by an alligator. This is where, you know, what's what's interesting is obviously. What was that? I said oatmeal brains. Oatmeal brains. This is your first taste of uh, of any sort of like Stephen King or writing or otherwise. And it's it's barely a taste if I if I can say so. It's I mean, yeah, it was very descriptive, very well done, but brief fleeting. And I definitely wanted more. Yeah. This is not only this, but this is this is something I kind of highlighted as a style I considered similar to what I've experienced of Chuck Palahniuk. Obviously, Fight Club. Uh, what what other books? His collection of short stories. He's got like three or four, but yeah, there's a number of them. And a, f- a few other stories. Was Choke one? No. Choke's a book. But anyway, it, it reminded me of his writing style basically throughout this entire story, but definitely during the description of the chomp chomp. The chomp chomp. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know who's emulating who. I'm sure. Like, I know Stephen King came first, so like I can't, well, I can't say, oh, like, oh, this is this is definitely Chuck Palahniuk's writing style. I, in, I my, think... in my purview, like in, in what I've experienced, that's what it reminded me. Let's definitely bring it up later because I think it's an interesting thing. And it does have the same sort of action pacing, but I don't even think it's a who came first kind of a thing to some degree. It would be difficult for, I think, Chuck to say like, no, yeah, I mean, Stephen King was writing for 20 years and I'd never read a book, <laughs> which I don't think is true. But also they write so substantially differently that I find it interesting that you compare them, which is good. I'd like, I'd like the callback to... Laurie shut up, shut the fuck up. And it's like, oh, a bitch, a bitch, a bitch, as Evelyn Pitcher was yelling. We we very quickly wind this down. He runs away. He stabs the like, cane. In. First of all, who says that? Well, <laughs> PJ, a very old 70 year old, says that. Yeah. Uh, Who's losing her mind? Who isn't all there? Who doesn't have all her chips down? I, I don't remember the last time. I heard anybody refer to a female dog as a bitch in earnest. Like, I. I don't know if I ever have. 70 years ago is 1950. Wow. Yeah. So aged up like 10-ish years to 1960-ish is when that would be like taken in as language. And this was so. this was 2018, so yeah, it would have been yeah, 12. Yeah. Right. In right. 1960. Yeah, just, just trying to think about when she acquired the language because it typically happens around that point. So God, I must have sworn a lot as a 12-year-old. I didn't though. That was that was before you and I started playing StarCraft all the time. Yeah, no, I swear a lot. When I you swear, swear a lot, period. So <clears throat> there's there's this whole thing, obviously, Lori like runs away but doesn't leave, obviously, and finally like makes it out. They they call <laughs> he, he snaps her like a football. Yep. Just like grabs her, just <laughs> nice and tight. I, I really liked all of the languages, like she jumped into his arms and everything else. It's all 
it's all very tight and condensed and good good action yeah i had no problems i agree where's that description of his his oatmeal brain uh 25 there were oatmeal strands on it and lloyd realized it was he was looking at don palmer's brain pictures but you know i like oatmeal you do like oatmeal i don't eat breakfast very often but that I don like had been thinking that very stuff perhaps only minutes ago seemed to render the whole world meaningless king <laughs> 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 onto the ground your oatmeal is seeping out doesn't Put that it back prove in. the whole world's meaningless i think stephen king kind of agrees with you this story doesn't prove it this story is about companionship man and how you can replace a wife who died with the dog <laughs> So they're basically the same thing. Yeah, so the the police show up, the dog is great, they live happily ever after. It's all a good time. That's literally it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean the, yeah. the story like is, you said that you said that sounding sar- sarcastic, but that's literally basically it. That's that's the wind down of the whole story. I mean, there's there's a little bit on the side of appreciation for what the dog did. There's a little bit uh, in terms of description, it's great. But describing the plot is very simple. Describing the characters is not easy as we move through the story. He did a good job of fighting off the gator with uh, Don's cane. Yeah, sharpened cane. That was great. And it was it was protecting a bunch of eggs. So they're going to be dealing with this for like a long time. But also, I don't know if they're dealing with it so much as like it's just sort of reality of nature. Like, do you, I guess you deal with nature to some degree. I don't know. I, I have a vested interest in. I guess it depends on are we part of nature anymore? It's tough. It's tough. If you consider any part of the human experience, the modern human experience, part of nature. That means no. there's like all of science and physics and everything else that we do and recreate engineering is nature, which becomes an interesting question. Anyway, talking about the writing, you you compared it and we talked about it very early on with uh, Chuck Polonic, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's right to ignore that comparison. So specifically, I think the biggest part is the dialogue, just the way the way think like right at the end here, Gibson finishes iced tea and stood up. I just thought you'd like to know. Thank you. Sure. It's a nice little dog you've got there. Border Collie and what else? Moody. Oh, yeah, I see that now. And she was with you that day. Ahead of me, actually. She saw it first. She's lucky to be alive, too. Yes, Lloyd stroked her. Lori looked up with, at him with amber eyes. Like, no attribution of who's speaking. Pretty mundane, back and forth. I I, I don't know what it is. I, I, guess I, I guess I can't pinpoint exactly what it is, but something about that really stylistically made me kind of hone in on my experience with Polonic. So you can properly avoid attribution with like, I know, character and I know knowledge. that's not like unique no, 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 to I, them. I'm not saying that's unique. But. I'm saying both of them are very good at it. So what what I think is really interesting is I think for modern audiences, Stephen King is like the master of third person because it's pretty much almost always what he writes in is this third person perspective. And Chuck Palahniuk is a master of a first person perspective. So I I can connect with everything that you're saying because I, I really do think that he addresses dialogue almost the same sort of way where dialogue to some degree, really good dialogue is kind of mundane because it should feel real mm-hmm. and real people for the most part are mundane. So and they don't really like expose great pieces of information every time they talk. Yeah, you you learn more about them by just them talking and being very real, 
which is where like especially that that like statement of exchanging the dog breed is indicative mm-hmm. of who's talking the information that they're interchanging and everything else it's it's very it's so well written and the entire dialogue early on with his sister describing their relationship is fantastic yeah. same same kind of deal yep that's really the only case i really have for it but i do have something else to bring up towards the beginning where he talks about the uh, toy-sized leash and then from that point on always refers to it as the toy st- toy-sized leash or the toy leash and it, it kind of invokes almost <laughs> because I always go this way um, cinematically like a the creation of a montage of him going through life with this dog focusing on him doing all these activities with this leash with the same leash because he's always like it's the same one every time but it's different different progressions of their relationship as dog and owner and instead of saying her leash saying the the toy size leash being meaning like that specific leash that beth brought over right at the beginning was i could see how that could be taken and used cinematically to create a montage of him falling in love with the dog yeah yeah totally i i definitely agree with you i think the most interesting part of stephen king short stories is each of them this is actually something that he does as well on his side is he actually has i forget what i forget the term is i think he calls them dollar babies where he actually gives out his short stories as rights to aspiring filmmakers for a dollar where wherein you can produce any one of his short stories for a very cheap okay or did for a very long time the idea being that he still holds the copyright but allows for you to reuse it for the price of a dollar basically and so to some degree film students he he's become prolific among film students who've just chosen to use his short stories because they are so visual naturally Another book mm-hmm. that I would highly recommend to people who are listening who appreciate Stephen King or otherwise is his uh, nonfiction piece. He's only written three nonfiction books, I think. One is on writing. One is called Secret Windows. It's mostly a compilation of short stories and essays on. Dance Macabre talks about a, a ton about the craft and art of horror and other things like that. And I think that a lot of his visual imagery borrows in some degree from film and has such influenced writing for a lot of people to become more film-like in some degree. Mm-hmm. So I, I I see it kind of going both ways, wherein we totally naturally, you and I assume the montage, but we only assume the montage because Stephen King at one point started crafting short stories that were the montage that were then adapted into montages, <laughs> you know, yeah, like no, it's, a, no, I, it's a weird cycle. I totally, totally believe that. It's just that's because I don't have the sort of literary experience, but I oh. have more experience in movies, even though I don't have that much experience in movies, significantly more than books. So that's just where I oh, yeah. draw parallels. But, uh, agreed. agreed. And I, th- I think that's a good overall analysis. I think the other part of that, too, is I feel like his stories yeah this this might give me a this right but i feel like his short stories are better than his longer books when adapted into movies for the most part tv series is a little bit different because they can spend some time but miniseries and movies generally do better 
with his short stories than with like his longer tales trying to fit it into a movie. So not knowing much about his writing in general, but knowing about why people get upset about movie adaptations, he seems to be somebody who gets so specific and so detailed about things that it would be hard to, in earnest, truly adapt one of his books without making compromises or changes or tweaks. Um, is that a fair assessment? Y- yes. And because, like it, feel, it feels like he wouldn't leave a whole lot of room for interpretation. And um, therefore, if somebody isn't explicitly true to how he wrote the story, which oftentimes is probably impossible to do on film, they're not going to be critically received among the literary community. Man, I don't want to peel apart the the opinion there, but there there's an interesting dichotomy. So one, you can't like I I have never read anything else by Stephen right. King. I have no idea what I'm right, right, about. right. I get that. I'm just thinking about the the most common thing that gets analyzed is The Shining novel versus the movie, okay. and they're almost nothing alike. Like they share common characters, they share a couple of common plot points, but other than that, it's not the same. Yet, The Shining, the movie, is critically acclaimed, critically vaulted as one of the the forment, like that created the newer horror genre to some degree or changed the way that it works in the way that Kubrick did it. And the novel is similarly hailed as like a holy grail of ghost stories, but mm-hmm. they're both so independent of each other that it's hard to read it uh, because Kubrick did take me. He interpreted it, it to such a degree and removed removed elements that I would consider core and critical, but replaced them with his own that also made sense, but not to the same degree as the core story did. Then again, they filmed the miniseries The Shining later, and it was basically a faithful adaptation of the the novel, and it also wasn't as good because of a number of reasons. I don't know. It's it's mm-hmm. tough. It's tough to say. I feel like part of the the difficulty with adapting Stephen King comes down to yes, the specificity that you're citing, but also sort of just capturing the element appropriately, capturing the the fire of Stephen King. And okay. you know, like Shawshank Redemption is based on like a 114 page short story. So like very is that a short story it's a short story it's a novella it's a, it's, it's a novella slash short story it's inside of the that space that's what they call that the green mile isn't much longer and was directed by the same guy and everything else both of those were terrific films i don't know okay. i don't know what it is but i i definitely stand by stephen king short stories being adapted into films or tv episodes or what have you like this this would make for like a perfect 40 minutes of television in an anthology, you know, like this would be. I mm, I don't know about that. 40, 40 minutes of an entire TV series that has other things going on. In an anthology, I think it would be fine, though. Like it is a self-contained story. Mm, I don't know if it could really hold attention. I think it could. On film? Yeah, you, you'd start. So you'd start at the funeral, right? And you'd start with the funeral procession. OK, so taking mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I I think you could do it. I think you could do it. But that's where like adaptation and like taking things in and out of context are important. 
I feel like this and is, add like you. I mean, you'd have to add things straight up. Well, yeah, adaptations do add things, though. Like I know, but yeah, add or change. Use, it's implied that she died. It's not implied. It's fact that she died. So we'd be adding a funeral. Is it fact? Well, we know six months. Literally, the she first line: fake six it. months after his wife died, of forty years died. Blah blah blah. Florida. As far as he knows, drove. she died. Small little dog landed on his doorstep. She's currently living in El Cupoco. False. Cayman. It's Cayman Key, bro. So overall, how do <laughs> how do you how do you feel about the story, and how did you feel about Stephen King as a writer? Um, I didn't love the story. I didn't mind the story. I enjoyed reading it, but I felt like I, I felt like it was lacking in actual content. Um, that said, I loved reading it, and I loved the the journey of the mundane that it brought me through. And I, I I think you'll see that as a criticism, but it's not. I think maybe, I, I don't know what his intention was with this short story, probably just a an exercise in writing, but it, it really gave me a good appreciation of the craft that he can, that Stephen King practices. And I really want to read a more fleshed out story of his. Okay. Okay. Is that fair? No, that's that's totally fair. I think that's very fair. I actually don't feel that much differently. So as a for the record for the audience piece, I hadn't read the short story and I was like, what's a free Stephen King story that's out there? Lori was the most recent one that was publisher free. I was like, all right, let's grab that one. Let's read it. And I, having read most collections of Stephen King short stories outside of I have not read If It Bleeds entirely through yet. I was like, yeah, no, it'll it'll be good regardless of what it is. And it is good. And it's it's just good. Like it's it is self-contained semi magic in the way that he can make you read about 32 pages of a dog and an old man and make you care about it. And then a gator fight and then end the story with the old man raising the dog. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's totally cool. It's totally fine. It's not a story that I would tell everyone that they need to run and read. But I'd never dissuade anyone from reading it, you know? No, I, I I think I'm with you on that. I think if I was ever writing something and wanted a sort of inspiration on how to capture some mundane dialogue, I would come revisit this. If somebody was interested in Stephen King from a more studious standpoint, as opposed to interest in the stories that he writes... I would probably point them to this, but I don't I don't think I'd ever straight up recommend it as a story to read blindly. Hey, give me a story I should read. I don't think I don't think this would ever jump ahead as like, oh, this is a great story you should read. I mean, how many great stories do you have in your back pocket, though, PJ? You know, I have none. (laughs) So now you have one, two, even. I've got a, I've got a few now from from this podcast, but. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I don't think that this is a standout. I just feel like this is a quintessential Stephen King story to some degree. It's, it is just his writing with with a core plot. And that's that's all it is. And that's OK. And that's all it needs to be. Cool. All right. Um, anything else we want to go over before we wrap up here? Nah, you have anything? No, but let's, let's talk about what's, what's going on in our podcast in general. So last week, when you're listening to this last week would have been the, uh, wrap episode for Red Rising with, uh, Bingham. Yes. Crossland's younger brother. Um, today, I mean, now is this episode. And then also this 
later this week will be the intro episode for Golden Sun, which yes. is the second book in the Red Rising series. Yes, on Thursday we'll have that episode out, aligning with the normal release schedule. So, yep, we're we're basically taking this as the doubleheader of the week for you guys, since they're each about Triple an hour letter, long. kind of, isn't it? No, so the other one's going to come out the week prior. Oh, that's just going to be a standard yep. week with just the... Uh, wrap up episode with bingham yep yep okay okay sounds good yeah so double header for the week for you guys um not for us thank you for listening to words and whiskey we hope you've built up a tolerance to us subscribe to us on your preferred platform like overcast stitcher spotify itunes or whatever else you use and check us out at our website wordsandwhiskey.show we filled our top shelf with our favorite cocktail recipes as well as other important information for you Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Words Whiskey Pod. All those links and more can be found in our show notes. A five-star rating on the platform of your choosing goes a long way to springing us up on them leaderboards and getting us noticed. We're just two dudes helping encourage people to read and get out of their comfort zone while thinking critically about literature. Thanks for listening, and we bloody damn better see you next week.